Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast. Our goal is to help technical professionals accelerate their career progression, increase their job satisfaction, and bring you the advice we wish had been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, John White, at VJourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Corty, at NetworkNerd underscore. We both work in the tech industry with backgrounds in IT operations and sales engineering. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to career enlightenment. So let's take a trip. We also wanted to mention that our second site, graph.nerd-journey.com, is also live. That's the knowledge graph and linked notes version of our main page's show notes that we developed to make it easier to explore our episodes, guests, and topics. Episode 243 coming at you right now. Our guest this week is Tim Crawford. He's the founder and a CIO strategic advisor with an advisory services and research firm called Avoa. I want to point out two things to listen for in part one of our discussion with Tim this week. The first one is sometimes curiosity can lead to job opportunities. It definitely happened for Tim. And the next one would be make sure you understand your needs in a manager and a leader. How about you, John? What stood out to you? Well, those first of all, those are two really good uh, things to listen out for. I have a few too. First of all, you know, we kind of asked about the first role that Tim had, which was project manager. It ends up that was just a title that he had. And uh, you should listen in for kind of the details behind that. There's a little tidbit about scaling your experience and maybe the need to take some risks in order to do that. Also, gaining soft skills by participating in an external community. And finally, the emphasis on both internal and external relationships and how important it is to have both of those things. Um, Why don't we get straight into the episode? Part one of our discussion with Tim Crawford. Tim Crawford, thanks for joining us on The Nerd Journey. Hey, John. How's it going? Doing really well. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about who you are today and, and, and kind of what your role is? Absolutely. So I am founder and CIO strategic advisor with an advisory services and research firm called Avoa. Got it. That answered my next question of how to pronounce the firm name. So that's terrific. <laughs> yeah, he was hoping you'd say that without us having to ask. Not a problem. It's, you wouldn't be the first to mispronounce it. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about your origins in the industry? Rather than uh, start how you uh, became a CIO, maybe we could talk about how you broke into uh, industry at all. It, when I was looking at your uh, LinkedIn, I, I saw all the way down at the bottom that you started as a project manager. But the reality is I started much sooner than that. Don't let the gray hairs that you can't see fool you. <laughs> <laughs> I have kind of a a non-traditional start in the industry. I um, went to a high school that uh, had different trades. So you had your auto shop and your wood shop and your metal shop, but it also had an electronics shop. So I got really kind of hooked on to electronics and thought, okay, I'll 
graduated from high school and I'll get into this electronic engineering kind of thing and started to go to school for that and was getting really bored really quickly because I'd finished my designs, my circuit designs. And I'm like, okay, now what do I do while other people are trying to finish theirs? And so I'm working on a computer and I'm like, what else can this computer thing do? And you can probably figure out where this is going. And so one thing led to another and very quickly I changed my major from focusing on electronic engineering to focusing on computer science. And then eventually started to um, venture into computers. And my very first job in the industry, again, was kind of a through happenstance. I happened to be at the right place at the right time. I was helping a friend with their computer and we had to take it to a local shop to get it fixed. And I was really curious, like, how did they fix the computer? And I was asking a lot of questions. And the, the person working on it on the bench uh, said, gee, you know, you seem to know a lot about computers. Would you be interested in a job? And I'm right out of high school at this point. And so sure enough, I'm like, yeah, that'd be great, you know, a job. So one thing led to another. And I ended up working for a, um, a reseller and started, then that started into designing networks and then eventually got into IT and one thing led to another from IT and then eventually you'll see, I guess it was about six years later or so, got into the project management role that you see on LinkedIn. And what was it that drew you to want to get into project management? Well, project management was the official title. I was working for a big semiconductor company at the time and that just happened to be uh, the title. And in fact, with that particular company, I started working with them as a consultant. So was brought in as a consultant. And I remember my manager at the time, or the guy I was reporting to at the time as a consultant, he said, you know, we, we really need to put you on the road. We need you to go different places. And they were a global entity. They, you know, they had operations all over the world. They said, but here's the problem. We do not allow consultants to travel. We don't pay for consultants to travel. Now, this is back in the mid-90s. Obviously, things have changed since then. So he said, here's the thing. I'd like to offer you a job, essentially doing what you're doing today, which was managing a number of architecture projects. We were building one of the largest um, Citrix implementations at the time. We built one of the larger Lotus Notes implementations at the time. We consolidated six different email platforms into one email platform at the time. Um, so we had some pretty big projects. We, same time, we were doing an ERP upgrade from one product to SAP. So there were there were a lot of really kind of big projects, and it required knowledge and capability to manage a lot of different moving parts at the same time. And I happened to be pretty good at that. And so that's how I ended up doing project management. But it was really more strategic architecture around infrastructure and applications, and then built up from there. That scale of environment and the experience at those kind of scales is something not everyone has. So while we're talking here, what would you tell the person who has done the thing or done the project on this technology, but hasn't done it at the scale of maybe an organization that needs help in that technology area, but is hesitant to invest in someone who hasn't done it at that scale. There's this whole friction between, I've got experience, but I don't have experience to match the global scale. Maybe it's more of a local small business scale. 
Yeah, and that it's much harder today. I mean, keep in mind, I was in my 20s at the time. I ended up not going to college right out of high school. I mean, I went to junior college and then ended up stopping college and just working full time. And then eventually did go back and get my undergrad and my MBA. But back then, it was much easier for someone without that experience to to step into these roles and the company would take a chance on it because there weren't a lot of people that that really kind of understood that. Today, there's a lot more risk because we rely on technology much more. And so my advice to someone who has experience in a particular discipline, but maybe not at that scale or at a much larger scale is find ways that someone can bring you in under their wing. Meaning you can get exposure, but you're not the the guy or gal that is responsible for that particular project. Um, so you're not going to go from zero to 60 all at once, but at least you can start to get exposed to it and take those chances. And that, again, this these are hard things to do today and hard things to say, you know, easier say, said than done. But the reality is that taking risks is where you get the opportunities to advance your career. If you don't take risks, your advancement from a career standpoint will be fairly incremental at best. But when you take those risks and find those opportunities where someone can bring you in under the wing or you know someone that's been looking for someone to, to do this, but they just can't find the right fit, that's great. The other thing that I'll say, now having a lot of experience from a leadership standpoint under under my belt, looking at it from that perspective, is I would much rather hire someone that is eager to learn and has the right persona, the right decorum, the right kind of tone, the way they work as a team, over having that experience. And the reason I say that is it's much easier to teach you the technology and the scale like I can teach you the technology and the scale. It's much harder for me to teach you those softer skills. So if you work on the softer skills and you bring them and put them forward, someone is likely to take a chance on you to go after these other technology problems that maybe you've never touched on before. But the way that you act, the way that you react to things, the way that you solve problems is good enough and you'll figure it out. That's some pretty powerful advice. That's that's really terrific. Do you have any specifics about how to kind of present those softer skills as a strength, kind of strategically or maybe tactically, I guess is probably the more accurate way for me to say that. There are a couple things that that I would suggest someone that is earlier in their career looking to kind of branch out that I would suggest they do. Number one is find your people, find your community get involved in the community, that's a good way to kind of understand where you stand and also learn from, more importantly, learn from others. You know, I see Nick does something this way, John does something this way, and how do I kind of mimic that or how do I learn from that, right? Learn those soft skills. The other piece is building relationships. Now, there are a lot of ways to do this. You can model after others. You can get a mentor or have a couple of mentors that can help guide you through that. But focusing on building relationships and that specific piece about building relationships is something that I still coach executives on to this day. So how does a CIO or CDO get into the boardroom? 
Well, it starts with a relationship, a deep relationship with your CEO. So you can see how these relationships, while you might be just starting out in your career or earlier in your career, are important. Those relationships are then going to help you build into the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Case in point, there have been some jobs where I found out about the job because I knew someone and they knew me and they knew my style and they knew what I could do and what I had done in the past. And they're like, they need someone like you. Let me make the introduction. And one of those very jobs was when I went to work for Stanford University. So many people know who Stanford is, but the way I found out about it was someone I worked with at a different company said, I know they're looking for this person. They haven't been able to find it. You would be perfect. I can make the introduction. Here you go. That's a big deal with a university like that on your resume. It is. And, you know, I, I've been grateful. I'll be honest. I'm not sure that I really respected and understood. And those two go kind of hand in hand. But I'm not sure that early in my career, I really understood or respected the opportunities I had in front of me. And I wish I would have learned a little more about that uh, earlier in my career. So that may be a something to learn from, my mistake, your benefit. But learning about relationships, learning about how you can grow personally, and then on top of it, the skills, not the other way around, is really, really important. And that's ultimately what will help you kind of work through this pathway. And so I often say, if you look back on my career history, almost every single one of the companies that I've worked for have been either number one or number two in their industry. That's, it's pretty prominent. It wasn't planned that way by any stretch of the imagination. That actually opens doors too, as you think about relationships and the network and the community that you build and who you work with and how you give back. Because remember, community is about as much about giving as it is taking. So understanding how you build those relationships, that will then help you for the next thing. It sounds like part of your practice then was joining these communities and as part of giving back, you're demonstrating how it is that you act and what it is that you do and the value that you provide in your organization. Am I, am I understanding that correctly? There's a balance to be struck, right? Um, and sometimes that balance is off. Like early in, in my career, I was in some pretty prominent roles, probably one of the youngest people in some of the roles that I held uh, at the time. And so in some ways I had to prove myself and or I felt like I had to prove myself again because it was an it was an emerging space and you know there weren't a lot of people but the people that were in it were older and much more experienced um, in IT and so that has its downside too because you feel like you maybe not have a chip on your shoulder but you feel like you always have to prove something and then that causes other behaviors to expose themselves which is detrimental and the rest but eventually you start to realize that that's unnecessary and it's important to to focus on what you're doing and how you're contributing and providing value for your company. And when you get more focused on that, a different type of community starts to expose itself to you. And that's a good thing because you'll learn from that as much as you'll uh, be able to benefit from it. And I think that community can be formed both inside your company and outside. Yeah, it's a great point, Nick. I mean, it 
in most cases, for most people, will be a combination of both. Externally, because they don't have the bias within the company, and so you might find you know, people that have uh, similar interests either in a technical space or um, personal interests that you have. Maybe you enjoy hiking, maybe you enjoy traveling. And so how do you tie that into some of these technology pieces? And maybe there are people who like to hike and like networking. And so um, you end up talking about networking while you hike and you build relationships as part of that. And so people get to know you outside of the workplace. But then equally, it's important to understand how do you build relationships within the company? And that's a piece that for many IT people, even to this day, they struggle with because they don't necessarily have the exposure. And a good example of this is, you know, within IT, if you think about even the most junior person within the org, within the IT org, how much interaction do they get on a regular basis with people outside of IT? Probably not a lot, on average, on average. Some organizations are, are really mature with this, and the most junior person can articulate exactly what they're doing and how that impacts their business, their core business, and they have really strong relationships with people outside of IT, and that's a great thing, but that's not common. I'd like to see that more common because <laughs> it'll help everybody involved. But I think you know, starting with your immediate team and then branching out to people outside of your team, but maybe with still within your department, and then building beyond that into other parts of the organization, you'll start to get exposure. And the other thing is, don't wait for people to come to you. Go to them. Go to them. And part of that is, um, you know, if a friend of mine talks about how, you know, one of the things he does when someone comes into his organization... <laughs> It's, kind of, it's a funny story. When, when someone comes into his organization, even if it's a senior individual, one of the first things they have to do is a tour of duty on the help desk. One of the first things they have to do. You know, for those of you that, that have worked on a help desk or maybe still work on a help desk or have kind of gone through this process, it can be trying sometimes. You know, you can have some good days, but you can have some really rotten days too. But the point is, you really start to kind of that trial by fire. You get to understand pretty quickly what people are calling about. What are their issues? You know, what is it that, that they really need help with? And you can start to develop some swim lanes pretty quickly. But the other thing is, you're not jaded yet. You're not jaded by the company's way of doing things yet. And so you're coming in with this almost blank slate and getting a firsthand view of getting to see up front and center, here's what we're dealing with. And so then that starts to open your eyes to, okay, here's some things we need to work on. Maybe I need to, maybe I'm working in one particular department with an IT, but I need to figure out how we can work more collaboratively with this other department to solve this problem. And so those are opportunities to build relationships. And so you have to seek those out and then you have to go get them. You have to raise your hand. You have to, you actually have to do some work. You know, you have to raise your hand and say, you know what? Hey, hello over here. I'd like to go after this. Maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. But I think it's worth the, the effort and I think it's worth the try. Let's do it. I'm glad you clarified because when you said junior IT folks don't get exposure to people outside their area very much, I was thinking of the interaction and break fix help for people across the organization. But as far as what does this pocket 
of the company do for the overall company and how it carries it forward and how how your value is perceived or appreciated in supporting that. That's the part that's missing. Yeah, great point. You know, the other thing, Nick, is, I mean, let's be honest. There are good leaders and good managers, and there are bad leaders and bad managers. And one of the things that you will start to learn is what defines those. And what I define as a good leader versus maybe bad leader is a little harsh, but you know, someone that's, that's less optimal for me personally might be different. That might be a good thing for you. And so it's important to understand what you need. And again, if you're a junior person just stepping into this industry, you'll figure it out. But those are things you need to look for. You know, what is it that I need to make me, you know, bring my best potential and, and be able to operate at, at my highest potential? Like, what is, what is it I'm looking for? And I'm not talking about free lunches and I've got every Friday off and I get to work from home full time. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the interactions that you have with the rest of your organization. It's the people interactions that you have. And you start to learn about what you need and what works for you and what doesn't work. And then that will also help you define what's the next job and what's the next job and what do I need and where do I need to go? I like that, the the idea of feeling those blanks and then making the decision to fill those blanks, right? You know, John, it's, well, I was just going to say, it's no different than how a leader thinks. So from a leadership standpoint, one of the things that you do is what they call hiring to your weaknesses. And the concept of that is to say, okay, if I'm the leader, I have a certain strength, but there are certain things that I have weaknesses in that might be blind spots for me. They might be areas that I don't have expertise in. It's not my, it's not my cup of tea. And so what you need to do is hire within your organization people that have that expertise. So eventually what you're putting together, what you're building as a leader is this organization that fills all those gaps. It's like a puzzle and you're filling all of those, putting all those puzzle pieces together. So you end up with, you know, John and Nick, they might have similar backgrounds, but they have very different perspectives. Great. So that diversity, at least in my organizations, is always welcome. I love differing opinions and differing perspectives because that is what makes us stronger. And so if you think about that from a leadership standpoint, then put yourself on the other side of the fence for a minute. You start to understand what is it that you bring to the table and what puzzle piece are you to fit in to that particular organization? Yeah, I can definitely see that. That, that actually just sparks the question in my mind, what was the decision that you had to make to actually change roles and go into technology leadership and management, managing people rather than uh, working directly on the technology? Yeah, managing people and managing things are two vastly different things, right? Hopefully. Hopefully people look at it that way. (laughs) (laughs) There are some that look at it very similarly, and and I'll argue that uh, those people don't last very long. They figure out the hard way that those are two different things. Right. You know, I think it's there's a natural progression. Now, for me, because I, I was pretty early on in my career, or rather early on in my advancement of age, 
Um, I was still in my 20s when I was leading people. And so that's pretty early to be a leader, pretty early. And there are lots of people that look at you and go, ah, snot-nosed kid, what does he know? And literally, they will knock you down. They will knock you down. I had a, a mentor who I can remember in one particular job, we, were tr- we happened to be traveling, this other gentleman and I, we worked together, but we worked together, but we didn't work for each other. I didn't work for him. He didn't work for me. I can remember we were on a trip once and I did something that I probably shouldn't have, but at the time I thought it was the right decision to make. And I got knocked down for it. And he said something to me at the time. And at, at the moment, I'm like, I don't get it. But he goes, go away, think about it, and then come back and decide what you're going to do. And he said, look, it's like boxing. You're in a ring. Someone just knocked you down. You have two choices. You can stay down or you can get up, but you're going to get up and you know you're going to get knocked down again. Maybe not the same way, but you're going to get knocked down again and you're going to learn from that. And that's a continual process of learning. And so I thought long and hard about it and I decided to get up, dust myself off and what got back in the ring and, and that's how I progressed. And so initially, I don't think I was necessarily prepared or had prepared myself well enough to be a leader. It's probably more of a manager or supervisor in mindset. But then over time, you start to realize what it takes to become a good and effective leader to be able to manage people. And you start to realize that managing things and managing people are two completely different skill sets. You can be a great leader and not know anything about technology. And you can be a great technology um, wizard and not be really good with people. But in order to be a people person, I think the, the first thing is you need the experience to lead a team, or you need to start by leading a team, lead a project. Doesn't mean you have to be the project manager, but you know, take charge in leading the team. You don't even have to have the title. Leadership comes from all different angles. You don't even have to be the leader in, an or, in a group, and you can still provide leadership to the conversation and, and uh, learn from that. But for me, it was, it was one of, I started to get the bug, the bug of, you know, I really see how people are developing, and I think I can help them be better people. And so I want to learn to do that. I want to be a better leader, and I want to help people be better leaders too. And does that mean that you are more interested in that than technology like you had before? Is it is it choosing to follow the greater interest in this case? Normally we close on a cliffhanger, Nick, but uh, that might have been excessive. I'm going to have to cheat and skip ahead and and listen to uh, what comes next. We had to find some kind of cut point. Yeah, that's true. Just to circle back on some of the things that I said to listen out for, project manager just happened to be the title for the first job that is on Tim's LinkedIn. And uh, it's a, it's an interesting thing to to take into account. People might have dropped some of their earliest positions off of LinkedIn. Uh, that happens all the time. 
So don't just assume that people, if you look at somebody's job history, that the first thing that's on their job history in LinkedIn is the very first position that they had. Because that could give you maybe some, you know, more imposter syndrome than you really need to have. In Tim's case, uh, he had some earlier positions that maybe just aren't relevant to what he does today. I think that some of those positions are are things that, that you had kind of pointed out as things to listen out for. Especially the the curiosity. I mean, I love the fact that this lesson keeps coming up. The questions we ask can actually showcase our expertise to other people without us realizing it. Normally, based on the questions someone asks, you can tell how much they know about something because they might be asking advanced level questions more so than the basic questions or general questions. That question and answer session got Tim a job at the repair shop, which led to so many other things. But this is actually a showcasing of those soft skills that Tim was talking about we need to practice and hone and that it's much harder to teach those to people than it is to teach the technology. So it hits both of those for me. Yeah, absolutely. It's the questioning without challenging, but also having that curiosity to to expand and grow beyond where you're totally comfortable at the moment. Totally agree with you. Speaking of growth, scaling your experience when you don't have an experience in a massive technology environment, whether it's public cloud, private cloud, edge, whatever you want to call it, or something else. We talked to other people like Joe Hughes in episode 188, who talked about some of the challenges you don't see until you get to massive scales of environments. Can you find people out there who would be willing to teach you about what those challenges are and what needs to happen to make the technology environment resilient? Uh, Do you have things like a change advisory board? It's just an interesting, interesting point. Because I think if you could find the right person to teach you some of those things to shadow, maybe it would it would help encourage folks to take a chance. Yeah, I think that one of the things that got called out earlier on was, hey, sometimes you just need to take a risk and have the curiosity to ask those questions. Hey, how is it done at a scale larger than we do it? You know, and is that applicable to the environment that I'm in right now? Or is it only applicable to an environment that's, you know, 10x, 100x, 1000x our size? Those are good questions to ask and good questions to get answered. You know, one of the things that Tim kind of touched on was maybe it's, it's actually on the organization to invest in growing the scale that people can address, like within the organization. So maybe it's on the organization to say, well, you know, we could limit ourselves to hiring only people with experience at our scale, or maybe we just need to look for really good people who are interested in expanding the scale of their experience and don't necessarily have experience at our scale yet. And and we need to hire them and grow them. That's uh, maybe an, an area of skill that an organization needs to have growing people need a bigger blast radius just like the andy Surwich episode (laughs) exactly i love the emphasis on building relationships and making connections really what this is is professional networking at its finest kenneth ellington talked about in episode 239 how we don't teach people in college how to network with other folks how to just go and meet them talk about what you're doing what you're trying to achieve trying to learn from how they did things 
And you can do that inside your company and outside your company. Do we do this kind of thing with people we work with? Are we curious about what they're doing and what they're trying to achieve and how you might be able to help them get there? You make a lot of friends that way. Absolutely. You know, Tim also talks about the importance of actually doing it both inside and outside the organization that you have. There's kind of that reinforcement of the message that we've heard many times, right? That participating in a community of practitioners outside your organization, you know, where, you know, you can give back, you know, is actually going to help you grow and it's going to expose you to a lot more things. And, you know, again, back to scale, maybe smaller scale and larger scale organizations, the problems they face and the ways that they've gone about approaching those problems, you know, even just their methodology, much less their solutions can help you expand your thinking. I think it's just, you know, super, super powerful. And maybe we don't think about community being inside our company and associating those two in our brains somehow. There's nothing, you know, we don't know what size your company is if you're listening to this. It could be very small, could be very large, but learning about what the folks do outside of just your team, just your organization within the company, that's an important one. There's biases that people inside an organization are just naturally going to have because of what they see every day. And people outside the organization are just not going to have those same biases. They're, they're going to have other biases, you know, because of what they see and, you know, their background and their experience. But, you know, it's important to make sure that you're exposed to not just your internal organization without talking to anybody else or gaining experience and knowledge, anybody else, anywhere else. I think that, you know, you could even softly say, if you are in a large enough organization, maybe you should be talking to and learning from people that are in a completely different business unit. Maybe that would count, you know, because at the very least, like maybe they have similar context, but, you know, maybe a completely different operating cadence or operating scale or technology challenges that they're facing. So you can learn outside of, you know, what it is that, that your team is doing just by, by touching base with them and, and, and finding out what it is that they do. Yeah. And some, some companies have internal mentorship programs that you can sign up to be a mentee or a mentor. And a lot of times they'll pair people up automatically who don't work in the same department to help encourage that kind of relationship building. And hopefully the, the good leaders out there will be able to understand what your interests are because you took the time to understand what those needs are, were in a leader mm -hmm. by telling them what you want to accomplish in your career. They might help you make the connection to other people or maybe a mentor inside the company can help you make that connection. Oh, you need to talk to John. You know, he just became a manager this year and I bet he has some great insight since you're looking to do that same thing. Yes, absolutely. Great point. To which one that John has the insight or not so much that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say John definitely has the insight. So speaking of insight, John, what do you think? Now that you're in the manager seat, is leading a project good, relatable experience for, for moving into a people leadership role? I think so, because project management ultimately is a situation where the work that needs to be done on the project is not being done by the project manager. Right. So leading a project means wrangling other people to do the work on the project when they don't report to you. And that is like a very, very powerful skill to have. If you've done it a bunch of times, then then it's uh, it's a natural, I think, 
a relatable skill to managing people and managing a team, right? Like I, you know, as a manager, you can't do the work for the team. The team has to do the work. And how do you, you know, exert influence and soft power to help them and motivate them? I should maybe say that the other way around, motivate them and help them. I think that's super important. 100%. Well, I'm definitely motivated to listen to part two. How about you? Definitely. Like I said, I'm going to cheat and listen to it earlier. Uh, But if you're listening to this, no cheating. See you next Tuesday. Just a reminder, we'd like people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter at Nerd Journey. Farewell, listeners. Tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White at B Journeyman. For Nick Cordy at Network Nerd underscore. Signing off. Adios. <laughs>